Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. This is Don't Miss This, and this is... Jason Deer. Yeah, he's from Nashville Tribute Band. Of course, you saw him in Harmony and also in Palmyra there, but now we're all together here in Ohio, just kind of near Kirtland, and we are right by the Lake Erie, and and listen, I know we're not in Ohio yet quite in the Doctrine and Covenants, but we're about to be there in, in these sections, and it's really connected. This is the spot. You see the lighthouse behind us where a lot of missionaries would leave from this place, from Kirtland. And a lot of exciting stuff happens as people come into Kirtland in this place too. Um, the stories that we'll get into when they all eventually move here. Spoiler alert, that doesn't happen for a while, but just you know because you know. So we're so excited to be here together and we're actually gonna start uh, with a song from Jason. So we'll be back right after that song. few little books worth their weight in gold, a handful of precious stories told from the hearts of people like you and me, verses that made it through history, hands held firmly to the rod, life spent knowing the will of God, heaven knows I need what they have to say, like air I gotta breathe it in every day, till I'm hanging on to every word. That's something deep inside me stirs Caught in the spirit of the words I'm breathing In my soul, I want to start singing Like a lighthouse in the dark Safe harbor to my heart No, I'm so much stronger The times when faith is paper thin Every day's a battle that's hard to win I see him like an old friend on the shelf An age-old answer to a cry for help And one by one, every question mark Becomes a quiet answer to my heart And every little thing I've been going through Is lost in a prayer and a page or two And I'm hanging on to every word and that's something deep inside me stirs Caught in the spirit of the words I'm reading In my soul I want to start singing Like a lighthouse in the dark Safe harbor to my heart No, I'm so much stronger That's something deep inside me stirs Caught in the spirit of the words I'm reading In my soul I want to start singing Like a lighthouse in the dark 
safe harbor to my heart No, I'm so much stronger And no, I'm so much stronger Okay, so here we are right down by the harbor, which we love. You a little bit want to take your shoes off and go walk in there. The water's so nice. Um, and we are going to start out in these chapters, we're going to talk a lot about missionary work and just the great things that are ahead. And we're going to start with the story of Thomas Marsh. And let's just remind you, because we've had Easter that happened um, oh, last idea. week, but we've, uh, section 29, you remember, was all about the gathering. That was the doctrine of gathering. And now we start getting introduced to the gatherers because these chapters are going to just talk about who, who is going to be sent, who's gathered in, and then the gatherers go out and get more. I mean, it's just fun that you just, we start finding all these people coming in and immediately they start going out to gather more people. So and this that's kind is of what's where happening. they would have left from. Um, most of them, and also come in from. So it's just so fun to be right here in this place where all of the incoming and the outgoings from Kirtland were taking place. Um, this is what we love about Thomas. Right at the very beginning, it says, Thomas, my son, blessed are you because of your faith in my work. And then the Lord tells him, I've seen that you've had many afflictions because of your family. Nevertheless, I will bless you and your family. I love this line, yea, your little ones. It's so tender when the Lord says that. And the day cometh that they will believe and know the truth and be one with you in the church. And then he says this in verse three, lift up your heart and rejoice for the hour of your mission is come. Now here's the awesome part of this. Thomas had read 16 pages of the Book of Mormon. That's it, the first signature of the Book of Mormon was out and that's all. So he had read six, the first 16 pages and he had been a member of the church for one month when he got his mission call. And this is what I love to think about every time I read this is, we talk all the time about how do you prepare someone for a mission and what do, uh, what do we need to put in as parents to make sure our kids are ready for that mission. And even those months that lead right up to the mission, you're like suits is on the list, socks, suitcases. You've got all these things that is the preparing of a missionary. And I love that the Lord teaches us a really simple lesson right here, which is all you really need to be a missionary is faith in his work. That's it. And when I read that and I was sending out all of our kids on missions, I thought to myself, it's so interesting because we get so ready to prepare them for everything that they're going to need and the packing and everything that's going to take place. And, um, how much time are we putting in to make sure that they have faith in this work? What does that preparation process look like? Yeah, and also in addition to that, I just think another thing in addition to faith is that rejoicing in verse three. Mm. Like, make sure that, our, that we are like enthusiastic about this. We have the greatest story ever told. We've got, I mean, just the power and spirit of God with us. Like, I love verse three where he's like, the reaction when you receive a call to serve should be to lift up your heart and rejoice. Like it's a sacred work, but it is not a somber one. It, it reminds is supposed me, to be like, here we go. Yeah. It reminds me so much of when my daughter Grace got called on her mission. See if you remember this, cause you're in the story. Um, it's gonna be exciting. 
I'll um, just reenact it. When she got called on her mission, she went to Sacramento, Spanish speaking, and she went to the MTC in Mexico. And her very first letter she wrote us was so fun. The first line said, this is my best place. That's what it said. <laughs> and it second said, I just love the smell of Mexico because we had built an <laughs> orphanage there and it just reminded her of really good memories. And then the third line said this, mom, I practically live in a castle. That's what she told me. <laughs> and then I called um, David and David and I were talking and I was like, oh my gosh, Grace's letter is so cute. It's just so happy. It starts out, this is my best place. I love how it smells. I practically live in a castle. And do you remember what you said to me? Have you seen the Mexico <laughs> MTZ? <laughs> Which I hadn't. You go ahead and describe it. Oh, you guys, if you look on Google Earth, bless the hearts of all the people who go there, but it is blocked off with like barbed wire and these big walls. There are these like nasty factories that are all around it, like, and like spikes on the fences and stuff like that. It's just, it's not like, uh, it's not this, you know, you thought, you would think Grace was like, the MTC was right on this beach, but yeah, I just love that, um, as you think about having faith in his work and just having that rejoice in your call, in my mind, that is just such a great example of just embracing wherever it is the Lord um, sends you as your best place, wherever it is in the whole world. That was so fun. Um, what happens here is this chapter, chapter 31, we like to think of as Thomas's setting apart, that he's going to go through and he's going to receive blessings and counsel and promises. Um, from this time and how powerful it is to watch what that's going to look like. Um, Joseph tells him his mission just starts immediately. You shall begin to preach from this time forth. Um, and away we go into verses 5 through 8, which is going to be this counsel and these promises that come. And we've got the verses right there on your study guide sheet that we're just going to look at like what's the counsel and blessings from him and also some of the other missionaries that are called, the gatherers that are called, in these other chapters also. Should we just talk about some of our favorites in there yeah, that we love? Yeah, let's go through the favorites and then you can find even more. There's, there honestly are, are so many in here that would give someone's heart reason to rejoice. Um, I love just in Thomas's, I'll do 31 and then you can pick one of the other chapters. Um, I love when the Lord tells him, this is just gonna be for a little time because remember he has his little ones that are gonna be at home. And I love that the promise is, I will open the hearts of the people and I'm going to establish this church by your hand. Um, but his counsel is you are going to strengthen them and prepare them and you need to be patient in affliction, he tells him, and meek and steadfast. And I just love these little pieces of counsel that are going to come along the way. Yeah, one of my favorites from him is actually in verse 5 where he just says, thrust in your sickle with all your soul and your oh, sins so are forgiven you. Like, I, I wish for that blessing every day of my life. And then he says, you will be laden with sheaves on your back. And every time you see that word in scripture, you need to know that sheaves are people. Because one of the great blessings of sharing the gospel are the people that you meet. Whether they embrace the gospel covenants or not, just those relationships and those memories with mm. people are some of the sweetest blessings of of opening your mouth. Yep. Um, another one in that section I love so much, let's just introduce this guy for a second um, because you'll see up top chapter 33, some more blessings and advice you can look for. But this guy, um, Ezra Thayer, 
and another guy whose name is Northrop Sweet. You just can't help but love those two people just because of their names. But Ezra's a guy who actually had hired Joseph and Hiram to work for him at one time. And then didn't know, didn't like follow, they weren't friends or anything like that. But then he got word that all of a sudden this church was started through these two boys. And he was like, what? They helped me build a dam. Like, I really liked them, but they, they're not like church starters. And he was so intrigued. And he goes to hear Hiram preach because he was like, he's just a hard worker. That's what I thought. And he sat in the meeting and Hiram preached. And he said, I put my head down because I was crying and just embarrassed and didn't want anyone to see it. And I sat there crying and Martin Harris was actually sitting right next to him and handed him a copy of the Book of Mormon. Like he saw him crying and slid it under and patted him on the shoulder and said, this book is true, brother. And then he said, I already know it. Hmm. And so he is like, that's how he gets pulled in. But this is so fun about him. Um, He didn't feel super confident about being somebody who could preach. And he has this dream of an angel who hands him uh, a, uh, like a trumpet. And he says, I want you to blow this. And he says, I don't know how to play the trumpet. And he says, I know, I want you to just try. And so he blows on it and he says it makes the most beautiful music that he has um, ever heard. This is wild, but this revelation, his mission call, when Oliver Cowdery brings it to him, he hands it to him and he says, here is your trumpet, blow. Oh. That is and so, so awesome. yeah, but okay, then look at this verse. Where's the story, though? What are, where are you talking about? We don't know where oh, you are. Oh, I'm sorry. This is section 33. Okay. So it's like, um, you'll see it in the verses up top on the study guide sheet, um, but his story is in section 33. But look at what the Lord says to him in his setting apart, or it is called, whatever you want to call it, in mm-hmm. verse 2. I say unto you, you are called to lift up your voices as with the sound of a trump to declare my gospel. It's so neat that God's like, I know who all of your stories. I know where you're all going to go. I know the advice I need to give to each of you. I know the blessings that every single one of you need. It's just really neat to see. They're not just trying to like grow numbers of a church. Like God is like in the story. Yeah. Very, very intimately in all these stories. And that's what you love about watching the setting aparts here, but also watching the setting aparts for your own kids or your nieces or your nephews as they are going. And then watching those things um, come to fruition as they serve. Whatever that counsel is for each of my kids, it was so different. And it wasn't often till the very end of their mission that we saw how particular and intimate that setting apart was to the conditions of their mission. One of which I'll never forget, um, our son Josh, who is a diabetic, and as he got ready to leave for his mission as a mom, I was so nervous about just sending him out into that situation. Um, For those of you who don't have diabetics, it's just a tricky thing. They're good at taking care of themselves when they're awake. Josh is really good when he's awake, but sometimes he'll get really low at night. And then there's a lot that has to be done. And the thought of sending my son to a new companion every three months who needs to know how to take care of him through the night if he gets low or has a seizure was made me so nervous. And I can remember praying as a mom before that setting apart that our stake president would be aware of um, maybe giving him a blessing of health. That's all I prayed for, for the whole week leading up to that um, setting apart. Well, when we got into that room and that setting apart happened, 
Um, that is one of the promises Josh was given on his mission was that he would have help that would enable him to be able to serve every single day of his mission. That he would be able to work every single day. I clung to that promise as a mom every single day of his mission. And I'll never forget getting a letter one week and the subject line said, mom, don't read this. That's how it started. <laughs> and then the next line, the opening to the, the email said, well, I got hit by a car this week. And I was like, what? How did we not know he got hit by a car this week? And an ambulance came. And um, there's one line in the letter where he talks about, for any of you who have seen a movie of someone getting hit by a car and then they just get up and walk away, that's not true. I had to army crawl over to the grass and roll around for a minute in pain before I could stand up. And an ambulance came and he talked about how the handlebars of his bike went through his um, shirt and ripped his shirt and um, how he had hurt his knee. And his companion, think about this just for a minute, it was the first day of his companion's mission. This happened on the first day. They had just left their apartment, they both had gotten on their bikes, and now this happened. And Josh said, I went into the, I told the ambulance I was fine, I was not gonna ride in the ambulance because Grandpa Mac told him never ride in an ambulance, it costs so much money. <laughs> <laughs> and so he went up to the apartment, he told him he would check in with the doctor, and um, he went up there and his mission companion was just shaking. And Josh said, I thought to myself, what's the best thing to do in this situation? And then he said, I just put on a new shirt and I told my companion we were going to get back out there and do the work we had been called to do. And as I got on my bike, I prayed that my knee would stop hurting long enough that my mission companion would have a good first day on his mission. And he said, when I got on my bike and started riding, by the time I turned the corner, I knew the Lord was going to take care of me and we were going to be fine. And when I read that letter, the first thought that came to my mind was the setting apart and the line that he had been blessed with, that he would be able to work every single day of his mission. And I just love that, that setting apart can be that intimate and that particular. As we read through Thomas Marsh's and um, as we turn to 33, and we're going to look at a different one in 32, um, just how aware of our stories the Lord really is. Yeah, in fact, if you turn to section 32, just you just keep seeing these pronouns over and over and over again. But verse 1, and now concerning my servant. Like you just see how the Lord is like, this is my work, you're in my hands, and you're my servant. So there's these awesome relationship words that are there. Okay, this is a mission call actually in section 32. Um, to go out to uh, what they called the Lamanites. They called all American Indians back then the Lamanites. They didn't know any better. So that's just the vocab that they used. And they were just, and, and so they were so intrigued with getting the copy of the Book of Mormon into their hands that there are these four, and you'll actually see five people that go on this mission out to the Western United States. And should um, we tell them to look for the people before we give it away yes and see we, if they can okay find the yeah you names. really should baby pause it and try to find the five people who are called onto this mission in section 32 you'll see on the study guide sheet that we've got one two three four five spots for it but let's tell you about the first one because he's just right there in verse one parley parker pratt you may know that man's name 
Um, he is just a fascinating person who grew up in the New York area, but actually ends up moving out here to Ohio and probably would have come right and landed in this harbor to get here. And he, and he finds this church that's out here and just falls in love with all of these people who are here. And this is where his, his home was. Well, one day he decides, I want to be a missionary for this other church. And so he hops on a boat here and heads back to New York. And while they're heading back to New York, he feels this prompt. He says to his wife, I know we've paid for the whole ticket all the way, but I feel like I need to get off the boat. I'll just meet you further down. And so he gets <laughs> off the boat. He runs into a Baptist deacon whose name was Hamlin. And he says, he told me about a strange book, a strange book indeed. That's what he writes in his journal. And he says, I got to have a copy of that. And the next day, this Baptist deacon hands him a copy of the Book of Mormon. Hmm. And he says, I opened it and I read the title page and I read the witnesses in, in the back. And then he says, and, and then sleep was a burden. Eating was a burden. You may have heard him talk about this before. I was enthralled with this. And he says, I, I, I got to know every single thing about this. He asks more and finds out like, well, why don't you head to um, Palmyra? That's where all these people are. He goes there meets Hiram Smith and like demands of him that he gets baptized. He's like, I got to be in. <laughs> and so that's where we find him. And then right away, he gets called to serve on this mission. So check out all the people who get called. Did you already pause it and count? Because you want to list their names right here. You got Parley P. Pratt. You got Oliver Cowdery in verse 2. You got Peter Whitmer in verse 2. Verse 3, you get Ziba Peterson. And then the part we love so much is in verse 3 where the Lord says, and I also will be going with them. So that is a, some, a promise that every missionary, whether set apart or not, can count on that God is going to go as a companion with them. And you love when it just says, this is why I'm going to go. I will be in their midst and I am their advocate with the Father and nothing shall prevail against them. And we just love the thought of that companionship. Um, we hear it again um, when it talks about the angels round about you. And in, is that 84 or 88? I always mess it up, but he's just constantly saying, um, this, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be in the story. I'm gonna be with you wherever you are. And as you look back over those calls of our life, whether it's a mission call that comes from the first presidency and send you somewhere or where it's a different mission that the Lord sends you on, um, we can be assured he's going to be with us if we are doing his work. Yeah, and we have a couple references there that we're just going to leave for y'all to look up that are right underneath that box where you just see several times throughout this, just count them and mark them where the Lord's like, I will be with you. It is through, you know, it's, it's my, you know, through your hands, I will do my work. And just how often you see in all of these that it's the Lord who is in, involved in it. And it's neat to just see that just not even, I was going to say sprinkled, but it's really like drenched through the whole doctrine and covenants. Like God saying, I'm personally involved. And in you this. love that as he's getting into all their stories right now. I love, can we jump to 34? Yeah. Um, I love, now he's going to talk to Orson Pratt. Now Orson is Parley's baby brother. And right after Parley like discovers the Book of Mormon, he's just like, I know who's going to love this. Mm -hmm. And he heads right home and he tells his whole family and he says, they all liked it, 
But Orson was in hook, line, and sinker from moment one. And he comes back with him, and that's where Orson gets brought in. Oh, and it's so fun. And um, he says this to him in 34. He says, um, my son Orson, hearken and hear. Behold what I, the Lord God, shall say unto you, even Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, the light and the life of the world, a light which shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Whoso loved the world that he gave his own life, and then you love this line, that as many as would believe might become the sons of God. Wherefore, you are my son. And there is one line we love in there that is so true about Jesus Christ. He says this, and he says it, we see it in the New Testament over and over again. But right here, as many as would believe might become. And that's what we're going to watch is these men, these men that he is gathering. Um, you remember the New Testament when this all started and he was going to send them out and he said to him, I'm going to make you fishers. I'm going to make you to become, he tells them, fishers of men. And we love that it's happening here again. As many as would believe might become something better through him. And that's such a great intro to section 35, where we're going to talk a little bit about Sidney Rigdon. Okay, so when these five head off on their mission together, they leave from the Palmyra spot, and they would come down the Erie Canal, and on their way to the American Indian tribes, um, Parley says, we've got to stop at my old house and congregation um, right near Kirtland, Ohio. So they came to this harbor and stopped here on their way uh, to there. Now, what you're going to find out from that mission is it seems like it was not very successful at all as far as converting any of the American Indians. They end up getting kicked out and they don't get to go back and, and that part is a mess. But this little pit stop that they make in Kirtland on, on the way might be the treasure, not might, is the treasure of that entire mission. So they stop here and Parley comes to Kirtland and hands his old mentor and, and minister uh, Sidney Rigdon a copy of the Book of Mormon mm -hmm. and says, I think you would be so interested in this. Now Sidney was a guy that's just, um, ever since he was little, like he said, I just was prone to learning. Um, all my friends would want to go fishing and play and I wanted to sit under the tree and, and read books. His mom and dad would try and make him go to bed at night and he just wanted to read so they hid the candles from him <laughs> so that he couldn't read through the night and he says, I would go and just get a piece of hickory bark and light it on fire so that I could read through the night unless my parents caught me. Mm. Um, his son said like every word of history was at like the tip of his tongue mm. and he had a photographic memory and just knew history and the Bible. Like he said, uh, my son said, his son said, he knew the Bible like a child knows their spelling book. I don't know if that's very good today, but back <laughs> then that sounds like he would know it super well. So here's this man who knows the Bible, knows history, and he has a gift to preach, man. He, is, he could fill one of these mega churches, and he did. In fact, he never preached inside churches because so many people would come to hear him that he had to preach outside. So here's this man who has all of these gifts, and Parley hands him a copy of the Book of Mormon, and he reads it, he says, for two weeks. And he said, after two weeks, I went to my wife, and I said to her, uh, I was a little nervous to say to her, he says, I knew if I embraced this new faith, it would mean that we, we would lose like our money, our livelihood, and, and all, because he was a preacher by trade. And he says to her, uh, are you, uh, what do you think about this decision? And he says, I was pleased to find 
that she had been doing her own research. And she said this, my, he said, my dear, you have followed me into poverty. Are you again willing to do the same? And she, he said, she answered back, I have weighed the matter. I've contemplated on the circumstances in which we may be placed. I have counted the cost and I am perfectly satisfied to follow you. Hmm. It's my desire to do the will of God come life or come death. And this man will become a powerhouse for the kingdom of God, a companion in the first presidency to Joseph Smith. He will preach, he will inspire, he oh, will so just move, yeah, move this work forward in like majestic ways that otherwise couldn't have. And, and what's so cool is he had this congregation of people here in Kirtland and once Sydney like embraced it, then they all started to. And you had here, because he was so sophisticated and it was a place with money, all of a sudden you get these like powerhouse people that come into, let me just list some of the people that were already here in this congregation that you are going to know their names. Um, Frederick G. Williams was a friend mm. of his. Newell K. Whitney and his wife who'd been praying for a restoration of a church to happen. Uh, Zebedee Coltrane, Sidney Gilbert, John and Elsa Johnson, um, a couple Orson Hyde. They're friends with um, the Snow family. You may have heard of Eliza R. Snow or Lorenzo Snow before. They've done nothing for the kingdom, but you may have heard their names. Um, all these people who are just like, they all get gathered in, in, in this spot. And before you know it, you've got a bigger congregation here in Kirtland of Latter-day Saints than you have all back in New York. Oh, that's so, so that's awesome. just this ripple effect that happens from this mission to the Lamanites, which is so cool. I think it's important as we talk about um, these calls to serve and what was going to happen that we remember there's counsel and there's blessings, but there's also warnings. And um, that's true of our setting apart. That's true of our patriarchal blessings also. And I think sometimes we wonder about those warnings. And this is a really interesting one here because it'd be interesting to talk about what happens to Sidney Rigdon at the end. And right here at the very beginning, um, the Lord gives one um, warning, one counsel. He says to him in verse 22 of section 35, um, he tells him, he's talking about Joseph, and he says, And now I say unto you, tarry with him, and he shall journey with you. And then he says this, Forsake him not, and surely these things will be fulfilled. And it's interesting because what happens in the end? Well, Sydney's a little bit tough. Um, technically, um, he doesn't end up following with the church after Joseph dies. So really, I guess he follows that warning a little bit and never forsakes Joseph. But, I mean, he's there with him in Liberty Jail. Um, we'll talk about later on in Kirtland. He's there the night Joseph is tarred and feathered and, and Sidney gets um, um, beat up mm -hmm. until they thought he was dead. And his head just dragged across the ground. And, and from that point on, he kind of never was the same again after that which is just uh it's just he kind of has a tragic and sad end but i mean there's times in there when he's he knows what he's doing because he has so much of the the bible memorized there's times that this warning is really appropriate for him to kind of rein him back mm -hmm. in and be like hold on hold on hold on i know you're really really smart but don't forsake you know the ministry of joseph smith so yeah, so good one of our favorite parts about this and this is where we want to spend a little bit of time is in verse three 
when he says, Behold, verily I say unto my servant Sidney, I have looked upon thee and thy works. I have heard thy prayers and prepared thee for a greater work. Thou art blessed, for thou shalt do great things. Behold, thou was sent forth, even as John, to prepare the way before me and before Elijah, which should come, and thou knewest it not. Here is what we love about those verses. Um, remember how he was a preacher, really an influential man in that community. He had gathered all those people, and um, he probably thought he was doing a great work at that time. And you love that the Lord comes in and says, actually, for your whole life, since you were little and you read those scriptures in the light of your bedroom and you read those books and you learned those things and you learned how to be a powerful teacher and you started this job and you built this congregation, um, I have been preparing you for a greater work. And I love that line when he says, and you knew it not, which makes me always want to stop and think to myself, what has the Lord been preparing me for? all my life. When I add up all the stories and all the situations and all of the late nights reading with a flashlight, the scriptures under my covers of my bed, and you look at your own life and you think, what are all those moments going to add up to for every one of us? It's going to be a greater work and great things. And we may not even know what the Lord is doing with us right now that might be preparing us for that greater work. And it would be awesome to just sit down and think um, to yourself, are there things that the Lord is using right now to prepare you for something that you don't even know are happening? And what might those things be? And it'd be neat to look back on some of your experiences in life and some of the lessons that you've learned and just just wonder for a second cuz cuz just like the lord says to sydney you had no clue yeah he would say the same to every single one of us um, that you have no clue what i've got in mind for mm -hmm. you what what you're why you're learning these things experiencing these things but it's just neat to look in the past and think oh i i just wonder why I felt so strongly about this or that or was moved upon to do that or this. And you watch all those just, dominoes just come into effect. It's so Oh, there's awesome. this line. Uh, do you remember? Uh, it's on your study guide sheet, but let's just read here. Elder Maxwell, oh, yeah. uh, when he just says this is, is so neat, especially about um, people. It's so neat to think about like the people that like that they all met. When he said the same God that placed that star, he's talking about um, the Bethlehem star, the star in a precise orbit millennia before it appeared over Bethlehem in celebration of the birth of the babe has given at least equal attention to the placements of each of us in precise human orbits so that we may, if we will, illuminate the landscape of our lives and that our light may not may not only lead others, but warm them as well. It's so good that so... he had been prepared, all those people, right. for this moment. And um, I love when the Lord says to him, I prepared you for this and you knew it not. Um, I love that thought of him going to his wife and saying, should we, should we do this? And are there great things um, in store for us? And I love what God tells him in verse 8. He says this, um, it, you might be worried because of who you are and because of what you've done, and you might not see all those domino pieces falling into place yet. But I love when he says this, I am God, 
in verse 8, And mine arm is not shortened, and I will show miracles, signs, and wonders unto all those who believe on my name. And I just love that he's like, you might be worried about what you have to bring to the table, but you don't have to worry what I'm going to bring to the table, right? I am going to bring miracles and signs and wonders. And we love this quote from Marianne Williamson that says, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightening about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. And it's not just in some of us, it's in every one of us. I just love the thought of that potential. And one of the things that the Lord is going to point out to, um, to Sydney at this time is that there's two types of people. There's a type of people um, that, that act in faith, and there's a type of people that act without faith. Um, you see that in verses 9 through 11 as he goes through and talks about what does it look like to, to be acting within faith? And we love the words that are there. What could happen? You would cast out devils, heal the sick, cause the blind to receive their sight and the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And the great things would happen. But without faith, what comes is desolations and the wrath of fornication and um, none that doeth good in verse 12. Um, so it's just so interesting, those two thoughts. And what does that look like? Yeah, and, hope, and we put that on the study guide sheet, like those columns in faith and without faith. And just take some time just and jump off the scripture pages for a second and just brainstorm and think, what does it look like to be living a life in faith? And what does it look like to be living one, you know, without one? And, and which one are... We living as we consider our great thing. Like, are we looking and, and thinking of the potential of miracles and, and contemplating the grace and goodness and power of God? Or are we doubting and, and pushing away and second guessing? And, and just which column are, are we living in as we consider what He might be preparing us for? And it's okay to not feel qualified in that um, situation. In fact, He tells him that. In verse 13, I call upon the weak things of the world um, to thrash the nations. That's who I'm going to use. And um, in verse 17, um, I've linked those two verses together in my scriptures, 13 and 17. And we have it, yeah, here on the sheet too. Um, that in weakness have I blessed him. Um, that it's through the weakness that those great blessings are going to come. And um, that they're going to have that experience of being made strong in that weak place, which is also as you're looking at great things, the great things that could happen um, in, in our lives, we should expect that there will be moments of weakness there where he will meet us and he will make us strong. Well, and almost that. like that verse almost seems to teach that weakness is a prerequisite for greatness, that like that, that weakness has to come first in order for the Lord to manifest his greatness in us. And to do his work. And it actually tells us that in verse 14. Um, he says this, 
when we recognize we're weak, then we'll realize their arm shall be my arm and I will be their shield and their buckler and I will gird up their loins and they shall fight manfully for me. And I love at the bottom, um, and I, I will let fall the sword in their behalf and I will preserve them. And you just love that it's in those weak places where he's really gonna show up. That's where we're gonna experience his grace most clearly are in the places where we need that enabling strength. Yeah, and it's neat that he just, he recognized that, encourages it, and then also says, hey, you are going to be with other people and particularly Joseph. And we love this counsel as we kind of wrap up here in 19 where he says, wherefore, watch over him that his faith fail not. That we look at those lists and we're sometimes like, oh, I'd love to live in that in faith list. Like I like when I am there. I like how, how I feel and where things are going. But the reality is that sometimes that weakness kind of takes over mm-hmm. and we shift over to that without faith. And I love that the Lord's like, that's why I'm sending all four of you together. And that's me. why and me and that's why I'm and that's why I'm putting you like together you know with Joseph that you look out for each other that you're always considering like what can I do to encourage those around me to like live in that kind of faith and to see their lives in in that kind of way yeah you just love in verse 22 when it just says and now I say unto you tarry with him um, you love the thought of that just be together and strengthen each other We think of those five people who got called in 32 and um, the fact that they were going to be together. And there's a man um, who has this quote that I think about all the time. His name is David P. Brown. And he says this, you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think about those missionaries when they went out and their five people, one of which was the Lord. And to think that that becomes the sum of who they are as they go out and and try to accomplish those great things the Lord has in store part of the reason why we are able to do it is because of who we surround ourselves with and um, I love that in 32 one of those five is the Lord yeah we're gonna end with one more song wait first uh, of all let's talk about their five who are your five oh yeah well if, oh, if you don't have a study guide sheet, you're sad. Get one <laughs> on the study guide sheet. We want you to think about who are those five uh, for you that you spend the most time with. Um, and also just to think about um, not only like what are they doing to influence me, but what am I doing that their faith is being not failing and their so faith good. is being strengthened also. So it's so neat to think about, you know, all those people in the, in those circles that we're in. We can't help but like end this spot at this harbor where so many people came in and out, where so many people were gathered and where gatherers were sent uh, in here to think about ending with one of our our favorite hymns, uh, Brightly Beams, Our Father's Mercy. Uh, And just to think about one of those five will always be the lighthouse, Jesus, the Lord, Um, but that the rest of us can serve as those lower lights, um, guiding other people uh, toward him, strengthening their faith. And it's just, I just love this idea of gathering being just synonymous with salvation. That really it's, it's, a, it's all of us all together yeah. uh, with him. So, so we will end on that. Enjoy this last song here at the harbor and the lighthouse and we'll see you next week.
brightly beams our Father's mercy from His lighthouse evermore. But to us He gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the way. Some poor fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save. Dark the night of sin is settled, loud the angry billows roar. Eager eyes are watching, longing for the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the way Some poor fainting, struggling seaman You may rescue, you may save Trim your Sailor tempest-tossed Trying now to make the harbor In the darkness may be lost Let the lower lights keep burning Send a gleam across the way Some poor fainting, struggling seaman You may rescue, you may save some poor fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.